if I think there's a stressor, yes, can I handle it? And I say, no, that's different, right? Now that's perceived as a threat that can lead to more stress. And then that's what's going to get us prone to reach for that unhealthy food. Now, do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Cersei Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast, where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Healthy For My Purpose. I'm excited to be back another week. Um, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to invite you guys, like I do every week, that if you have not joined the Daniel Fassa Bridge to Healthy community over on Facebook, um, it's a group go ahead and do that. You are missing out if you are on Facebook and you are not in that group. Um, It's a wonderful um, community that really kind of inspires you to um, get your healthy game on. So if you're not over there, go ahead and sign up. It's Daniel Fass, A Bridge to Healthy Living Facebook group. Um, I'm excited about the guest that we have um, for this episode today. Um, It's going to be Dr. Mark Ferries. um, And it's a really intriguing episode. It's actually going to be two parts um, because we really go deep with Dr. Um, fairies around the topic of silencing your inner critic and knowing God's voice. Um, It's a powerful conversation because it really peels back the layers and the intersection between psychology and faith um, and why we struggle um, with developing healthy habits, like what is going on on a soul level, on a mental level, on a, on a, on on every aspect of our being, what is playing into that in terms of preventing us from um, adopting certain healthy behaviors and to analyze the things that we are doing. Um, And so we really dig deep into it. This is going to be part one. So you want to make sure um, that you listen to both of these episodes um, because they really tie together and you'll get a really full understanding. Um, And I'm really excited about it because uh, Gigi and I are working on coming up with um, the Healthy Christian Women Boot Camp that's going to be coming out um, in the spring. I mentioned it um, in the last episode, but it's going to really address this very thing of putting things into action, um, being able to take the things that you've learned and 
put it into action in real time. And so that's why we called it the boot camp. So if you are someone who, you know, you know what, I need to get my health in check. I really need to get serious about this thing. You want to join the Healthy Christian Women Boot Camp that's coming up this spring. Um, so what you can do is go ahead and put your name on the waiting list. I will put the link to that. Um, so if that's something that intrigues you, I think after listening to this episode, you're going to be like, yes, sign me up. I need to once and for all get my healthy habits together because at the end of the day, guys, it's really the little habits that add up, right? It's never that one meal that you eat. It's the meals that you eat over time, right? It's never the one workout that you miss. It's the ones, the little habits that build up and build up and build up. And so being able to get into a, a a routine of conquering your bad habits and replacing them with good ones is the biggest setup for success when it comes to your health. Um, and so I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Um, and so without further ado, let's get into it. Dr. Mark Ferries. All right. So I have the great pleasure of introducing Dr. Mark Ferries. He's an associate professor in behavioral medicine. He holds a PhD in behavioral health from the University of Texas at Austin, a master's degree in exercise physiology from Baylor, and an undergraduate degree in kinesiology from Texas A&M University. His career has focused on the difficulties people have with health behavior change and why we don't quote unquote just do it. In addition, Dr. Ferries is founder of Theology in Health Ministries, where he seeks to change the traditional paradigm of health and wellness in the church. So without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Mark Ferries. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be with you both and everybody that's on uh, right now. I think I'm going to get started first. I'll just... Uh, uh, share my screen. I think Gigi or Cersei, you might have to help me make sure I have the uh, host permission to do that. Yeah, but as, as we're working on that, I, I, I thought a lot about this talk. So um, it's a great topic. It's a needed topic. It's an important topic. But one reason I had difficulty is because uh, I spend uh, typically in a, like a typical graduate class, many lectures on just pieces of this topic. Um, the way that we view ourselves, the voices that we hear. Um, and I really thought back to, uh, as I was preparing, when I was a PhD student, I was in a class and there was a lecture on uh, what we call self-talk. If you've heard of that, this idea of, of our inner dialogue and when I first heard it, I'll be honest, I thought it was, this was hocus pocus. This is, oh, because they brought up one thing about, uh, like when you have a tempting situation, yell no in your mind. Have you heard that before? And it was like, not out loud, but in your mind, yell no. And there was some evidence to show that it could reduce cravings and uh, falling off the wagon, so to speak. I was really skeptical. Um, and I was, the lecture was going on, I'm like, no, this is, this is not right, no. And then later that day, we had an assignment doing that. So I was walking around campus, across campus, and I was thinking, you know what? No, I got to do this assignment. This is not right. There's no way this works. 
yeah, but you need to go ahead and do the assignment, right? You got to get it done. This is why you're getting your PhD. You got to be open-minded. Go ahead and do the, just get it done. And then it hit me that whole time I was using self-talk to try to convince myself to do the assignment over self-talk that I was skeptical even existed. And so it changed my perspective then. And I really thought a lot about um, what, what is the voice, the proverbial uh, devil and angel on the shoulder, so to speak. And then which voice are we listening to? But then where do those voices come from? Uh, there is a psychological um, set of theories on that question that have been looked at for a long time from the classic behaviorists uh, through the cognitivist psychologist. Uh, I mean, it's, it's changed over time and there's new theories, but then there's the the Christian view, the biblical view of what are these voices and where are they coming from. And so what I'd like to do is share that with you guys today. Uh, I will note, however, that this uh, topic is, uh, again, very complicated. I'm only going to be able, and be able to cover in the limited time that we have um, just some limited pieces my guess is as we go through this, you're going to see some things and some things are gonna to touch you personally, but then we're not gonna go into depth, right? Um, and I don't want you to think that's not because it's not important, um, but rather just know that this is a, uh, I just decided to take a fundamental approach to this um, to get you knowing to the point where you know, what are the voices, where are they coming from? Because so much of navigating our inner critic, uh, trying to discern what one voice is from God's voice, from what God's will is versus our will. And this is a classic theological discussion that you'll hear over and over and over. Um, but I believe that there's some fundamental things that if you know, then it will help you begin to navigate that in your own life because everybody's inner voice is different. When I started analyzing mine, um, mine is like a coach. Uh, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm pretty tough on myself, uh, not in a bad way, but I'm, that's just the way I was raised. You know what I mean? So it's very consistent with that. Uh, I, I never like pat myself on the back internally, like good job or, but it's, again, it's not harmful for me, but other people I know that, that their inner voice needs to be different. If they try to use my inner coach, so to speak, it just wouldn't work. And so I think the fundamental basis that we'll discuss, uh, I hope will give you some clarity and bring up some good questions uh, that we can follow up with more uh, appropriately. Uh, before I get going, Gigi, Cersei, do you see, what do you see? You see my first slide? Yes, yeah, okay. voices, voice of truth. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, so I didn't change topics on you guys. I, I added <laughs> this in because um, there's a song, a worship song, so to speak, that has this phrase in it, and it talks about uh, the, the inner voices. And so I, as I was kind of preparing and thinking and praying, that, that just kept pop, popping into my mind. And in the chorus, it talks about the voice of truth. And at the end of the day, right, isn't that what we're trying to find? Mm -hmm. And uh, so with that, let me start with first the soul. Uh, in Greek, uh, we would pronounce these... Uh, suke and suki a little bit differently, but psyche is what we would commonly hear in English, uh, at least within the New Testament. It's where we get our word psyche or psychology. And so um, 
my expertise generally is its first part of it is um, the study of the soul and um, how do we understand what that is in the context again of a christian perspective um, there are many views of the soul that i don't have time to get into so straight to the point if you read scripture this is what you get you get that the soul is your whole self it's your entire person you can think of it as consciousness. Some of the psychologists talk about it as the ego, if you're familiar with that literature. Um, but it's important to realize that you are a soul. I know there's been some quotes over the years that you're not a body with a soul, you're a soul with a body. Uh, and I think that's somewhat productive just to make sure that you're not thinking it's some ghostly thing that exists in a container, uh, if that makes sense. You are, you are a soul. That is who you are. The scripture will actually break that down sometimes. It'll talk about the soul, and I'll, I'll touch on a bit how that is a little bit difficult to uh, separate from the spirit here in a minute. But um, generally speaking, when it talks about the soul, talk, just think of self, you. They do talk about two, the scripture does talk about two uh, subcomponents, so to speak, that I think are important. One is the mind, again, part of the soul. This would be more specific to your intellect and uh, your reasoning faculty. I'll even show you where uh, this soul connects with the flesh, the uh, front part of the brain in just a bit. The soul is different, by the way, uh, as we'll see, than the flesh. It's not the brain. The soul, as mysterious as this might sound, uh, and there's some research that, that validates this notion, but scripturally speaking, the soul is different. It's not the brain. Um, the heart is more of the uh, and I, sorry, I copy and pasted the, the heart would be more of your emotional center, your emotional uh, regulatory center of the body. And as you know, they, they used to think that's kind of where everything was, right? The, and we feel the stuff in our heart. It's kind of, it's, it's, our chest gets tight. We feel uh, maybe love or anger, things that are occurring in the, in the chest because of that uh, brain uh, heart connection. However, we now know that that's uh, be, being shown in the brain, but we also know that that connection still exists. But when scripture talks about it, uh, it may talk about the heart. No, it's talking about the soul, but it's talking more about the emotional side of things. Or it talks about the mind. Uh, and uh, Paul talks about the futility. Uh, the Gentiles were, were uh, existing in the futility of their mind. He's talking about this intellectual faculty of, of their soul. All right, so I'm going to leave soul for a minute. But the question that I'm going to be posing throughout this in different ways is what is the soul's voice then? Because the soul, our self, is highly influenced about, by how we were raised. It's highly influenced by uh, our upbringing. What is our social circle? circle? Um, as we know with age, the way we, our, our intellectual faculty now is definitely different than it used to be when we were younger. So we can have a soul that has been damaged at times. Uh, we, we talk about, uh, the scripture talks about seared consciousness. Um, and that, that there's just something going on at the soul level that is either inhibiting or helping the situation. What ends up happening is that voice differs based on all that baggage, uh, all that history. And really at one point, right, what we're wrestling with is our own soul, wrestling with our own soul based on some of those aspects. Now, the, what I'm going to go through here is 
to clarify why that might be, and in the moment, the, the things that we know influence the soul here and now, but I just wanted to make aware that there is a history for everybody's soul. Uh, it is who you are, and there's some great things that come from that experience, but there's also things that put our soul in a place to where we need to be honest with that and manage it, especially as it relates to our pursuit of healthy lifestyles. But I'm gonna leave the soul for just a moment and get to the next part, the flesh. So the second part of my expertise now is what I tell people is I'm an expert in the soul and the flesh. And this didn't happen on purpose. Uh, I did start pursuing more of the psychological side of health behavior, um, as Gigi mentioned at the beginning. But what ended up happening was um, I just, I didn't have enough explanation. I needed more about, there just seemed like this inner hard wiring that wasn't the soul, this cognition. It was, I don't know, just something di different. And what I ended up finding out is that that, that was the flesh. And in Greek, uh, we see in the New Testament, that's the word sarks. And the reason I'm giving you these Greek words, one, I kind of geek out over that. But two, I highly recommend in your studies, you always go to the original word. Uh, and see how they use that in the original Greek. If you look at flesh in today's dictionary, it's going to be different uh, in a lot of ways to what the uh, scripture refers to. Now, there's two aspects of the flesh, uh, excuse me, the flesh that I want you to know about. One is the, just the physical side. So that's my, my skin, uh, the hair, the chemicals in my body, the organs, right? It's just, it's just flesh that could have life in it or life not in it. Um, the, just the physical part of our bodies. There's also the flesh, the aspect that Paul talks about a lot, and that is, a, it's like an, a, uh, a nature, you know what I mean? It's like a, uh, it's not our soul, but there's this other competing nature, and he calls it the fleshly nature, or as we'll see, uh, sinful nature. I became interested in this because of body-related goals that people had, um, and why they had those goals, what was driving them. Uh, their soul seemed to be responding to this more innate sort of natural drive um, versus kind of creating it on its own. And so I started looking at the scripture and I found a few different verses, and these are just a couple of examples, where humans, us, were described as irrational animals, as creatures of instinct. Uh, Jude talks about these people like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. And there's many other, actually, uh, scripture, even if you include the, the Old Testament, that there's just this, we just act like animals. Uh, we just kind of respond to the environment and uh, this fleshly sort of innate nature. So then I started asking the question, and the question for us today is, what is the flesh's voice? What is the flesh trying to tell us in our inner dialogue. And there's really two main areas that I want you to know. One is survival. So our flesh, our animal nature, I'm not saying animal nature to offend anybody, it's just this animal-like nature that we have, this flesh, the most likely the first goal it has um, is survival. And so there's three characteristics that we know exist in the flesh of all humans. One is we crave energy. We crave high-fat, high-sugar foods, because the theory is at one point that helped us survive. So if you look at the, the um, scientists who study the flesh, they don't call it the flesh. Um, they call it the, the innate or the evolved mechanisms, however they word it. But their, their theory is that the reason we have this is because it helped us survive. In other words, uh, those who did crave 
these berries and these high sugar, high fat type foods were able to get food and then they were able to survive, pass on their genes. Those who didn't have these cravings or these desires did not pass on their genes and so on, right? So that's kind of the traditional theory. Uh, it, it is true, we, we do have this desire, we can measure it in the brain. Uh, we can measure it with gut responses, salivary responses when we present uh, even pictures of food to people. Um, so we crave high fat, high sugar food for the energy that's, that's there. Uh, number two is we also conserve energy. So we kind of like to be lazy and we like to manage and I don't want to give up too much energy uh, either. I don't know if they're still popular, but there used to be the survival shows. Um, sometimes they were closed and sometimes they didn't. Um, but there was always the situation in, in episodes where it was like, do I go build this raft or not? Or do I go for this long hike to look for something or not? Because I don't know when my next meal is coming, right? So there's this constant a battle in our fleshly minds about um, do, do I need energy in, but also I don't want to do too much energy out. And there's this battle of balance, so to speak. This is all humans. We also are really good at storing energy, typically in the, in the, um, the, the frame of, of body fat, uh, adipocytes, fat cells. Uh, unlike muscle cells and bones, uh, muscle cells in particular, when we fill up a fat cell um, and we fill the ones that we have up, our body will create new fat cells. It's called hyperplasia. Uh, and we can create more, create more, and create more. If we keep packing in cells, we'll just keep creating them because our body is so efficient at storing energy. Again, generally in the form of fat, but also if you've ever heard of things like glycogen that we can store in the liver and the muscle and so on. All right. Over the years, uh, people have come to me and they say, hey, Mark, I'm, I really want to eat healthier, but man, I just crave high fat, high sugar food, I, the junk food, and I just, I just really crave it. I'm like, join the club, right? That's, that's humans. That's our flesh. I know, I know I need to go work out, but I just, I'd rather be home and just sit and relax and be lazy, especially after a long day. And my brain's kind of mental resources are drained and I'm physically drained. I'm like, I get it. That's, that's all of us, right? I, I do so good. I lose some weight and, and lose some body fat. And, and, and then I sort of fall flat. but my body, man, it just stores it right back. What, what happened? I said, that's all of us. That's the way we are designed. At one point, again, if, if the theory is that if we lived in the wild, those features where food is very limited uh, and we have to be active to survive, some of our grandparents likely lived this way. My grandparents lived this way in the, in the woods of Southeast Texas. They didn't go to grocery stores hardly ever, right? It was what they grew, it was what they worked. Their, their morning to night was growing or hunting, whatever they needed to do, mostly growing and farming. I'd sit at grandma's table, dinner table, and look at the plate and thinking back and uh, it'd just be a bunch of vegetables. And I'd be like, hey, grandma, where's the meat? And she'd walk by and point at the black eyed peas or whatever bean was there, right? Because that's what, that's the food we had. And her and my grandpa worked, worked that um, to provide that food. So that was, just, that's just a different time, right? So what I tell my students is that this is our natural response, okay? Our flesh is natural response, but we're having a natural response to an unnatural environment. And that makes it very problematic. So now we have environments that stimulate, overstimulate these natural, common, good responses uh, that we're designed to have, but the environment just makes things worse. Now, 
the strength of this is what gets us in a bind, not only the environment, but also the strength of it. Because one could argue, yeah, the fast food is there, but you don't have to go eat it. And that, that's true, right? And we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in just a bit. Uh, so in other words, just because it's there doesn't mean you have to succumb to it. The problem is the animal brain is so strong um, that it makes a whole nother voice that is, is very difficult to kind of push, push down. I'll, I'll give you an example. Th this is a, a mouse study that was done and they, for 15 days, they put the mice in a, in a cage. In this cage, they could pull one of two levers, lever S, which gave them sugar water, or lever C, which gave them cocaine. We know cocaine, as you probably know, is very addictive um, and it doesn't take much to get you addictive. And they gave them the option to get the sugar water or the cocaine. So the big question was, what do they choose? Uh, you would assume cocaine, right? Well, 94% chose the sugar water over cocaine. They then got the mice and got them addicted to cocaine put them back in the cage and they still chose the sugar water. That's the, the brain, right? The body's response. So you have the physical brain, but then you have all the chemical reactions that go on in the brain. When your eyes see a food that you like, and then that, um, that, that, vis that signal goes into the eyes and up to the brain and your brain has a hormonal response. And a certain part of the brain lights up and starts using more glucose because it's active. That's all flesh. That is a natural response that we have. The problem is clearly like in this case with sugar, for an example, it can overtake us to the point that issues arise. And it makes me think about Winnie the Pooh and we make joke of jokes about how addicted this guy is to this honey and the, the effort that he goes through. But in a large degree, that's what we're fighting against. We have these cravings and we have environments that are stimulating those. Now, um, years ago, I, I started talking about this sort of strong craving in the context of emotional eating, because what I was finding was that um, the, the typical descriptions, and I'm not an expert in emotional eating, so, um, but what I was finding was that it wasn't, again, from this perspective of the flesh, this perspective of uh, that these desires are really strong. So I, I changed up a few things as how I was presenting that. And the next few slides are actually from a lecture that I give on emotional eating, uh, because I thought it would be helpful to show how our brains, our flesh is responding in the midst of these cravings. I'm gonna give you five C's real quick. Uh, and the first C is, is craving. So back to this brain. There's one part of the brain in the central part of the brain that actually people call the animal brain, like the hypothalamus. So it's deep in the brain. Um, this is where we would uh, respond uh, kind of, again, what they would say more animal-like. They try to say that the front of the brain, again, not a theological view or Christian worldview, that the frontal lobe here in the brain, it would be called our human brain. And the reason they say that is because that is the part of the brain that is trying to regulate the animal brain, if that makes sense. It's trying to control the brain. It's trying to say, hey, um, and I'll give an example of that with a peacock in just a moment. It's trying to say, look, your brain, your flesh has this desire but your flesh also has this desire. So which one do I choose in a given situation? That's happening in the front of the brain. Uh, this would be irregardless of a soul 
or irregardless of a spirit. This is just talking pure animal brain, animal flesh, human brain, human flesh. Now, that craving is again happening in the brain. Subsequently, that brain wants comfort. So once there's a craving, it wants its fix, so to speak, as we've referred to it. And one of the main chemicals or hormones, for example, is called dopamine. So we take a bite of a donut, the brain releases dopamine, and that's fine. However, if I take another bite more and more, I release more and more dopamine. The brain really likes that dopamine, so what does it do? It gets comfort from that and it craves more and more and more. And this is a vicious cycle we can get in when the flesh is sort of unchecked, or as I said earlier, the environment is just constantly stimulating it and we don't have the self-control that we need to uh, over, override those issues. Now, so we have this craving, we get comfort from that, and it's all hormonally based in the brain, part of the flesh. Then we have all these cues. I always ask people, and I, I think uh, Gigi and Cersei have heard me say this, but that I always ask people, how easy is it for you to eat unhealthy in your house? And if they say, well, it's pretty easy, well, that's gonna be problematic, right? Because there's gonna be constant cues. Now, there's some things outside of our home that it's, it's difficult or impossible to control. We can change the way we drive home and things like that, uh, which path we take in the office so we don't walk by the, the one person with all the junk food on their desk or whatever it might be. Um, but home is one place we can try to control. So the cues create this cycle where we have a craving and we want to get that fixed and get comfort from that craving. Our brains do not like to have a craving and have that craving dismissed. That is not something our flesh likes at all. And so the cues can make things really, really worse. And I'm a big fan of cues and cue management in particular, not only removing the cues that stimulate this fleshly response, uh, especially for those situations where it's not controlled or controllable, and then adding in the cues for positive behavior. We unfortunately don't have time to get into that, but it's a fascinating area. Maybe Gigi and Cersei, you can, you can talk to everybody uh, about that later. Uh, number four is then the coping, which I'll show you how this, this works as it relates to stress. Now, this is, again, the sort of psychological view, the materialistic view of human nature. There is no view in that psychological view, even though psychology is technically the study of the soul, they just see us as animals, right? Uh, with no soul or spirit, that doesn't come into the equation. So this is more like uh, just talking to human nature. If we believe there is a stressor, we have an option, yes or no. If we say no, that this is not meaningful to me, then we're not stressed. So that's pretty simple. Whatever the situation is, and it's different for everybody. Now, if we do think, is this possibly a stressor, and we say yes to that, our next question is, well, can I handle it? And from there, if I say, oh, yeah, I can handle this, we end up seeing that, generally speaking, as a challenge. And it's like, okay, I can take care of this, no big deal. And we don't see much problem with this, generally speaking. So in other words, being stressed or having a stressor in this scenario is not necessarily a bad thing. And our bodies are, are set up to handle stressors just fine in the short term, not only physically, uh, but uh, psychologically, hormonally, all that stuff. So this scenario is okay. So it's, it was kind of like me, right, in this getting ready for this talk, to be honest, this was my path. I mean, there's some anxiety, right, when you do this sort of thing and it's being recorded and everybody's staring at you, whatever it is. But can I handle that? Yeah, I can handle that. So this will be fun. This will be a challenge. And I've done it before. So there's some confidence that comes along with that. Now, if I think there's a stressor, yes, can I handle it? And I say no. 
that's different, right? Now that's perceived as a threat. That can lead to more stress. And then that's what's going to give us prone to reach for that unhealthy food. Now, why do we reach for unhealthy food? Why don't we reach for broccoli or asparagus or something like that when we're stressed? Remember back, the, the flesh craves high fat, high sugar food. The dopamine response that we get from those type of foods is night and day different than the dopamine response that we get um, from uh, healthier foods. We still get the good response from healthy foods. And if you've ever heard Dr. Scott Stoll talk about healthy food and the way he talks about it, if you've ever eaten healthy food when it's done right, uh, it is phenomenal and you're getting such a good response with none of the guilt that goes along with that. And so it's a really a beautiful thing that we can get that response and then we can crave it more and we get this in a healthy way versus if we choose the unhealthy foods, we get this cycle in an unhealthy way. And because the body naturally craves this high fat, high sugar food, it can get us going uh, in a direction that we don't want to go. It can also undermine our confidence, which becomes problematic. Now, confidence in what? Confidence in the resources that you have ends up being a big deal when you're dealing with emotional eating. Um, you're, you're asking, right, is there a threat? Is this a threat? Whatever the situation is, it could be personal, it could be uh, physical, uh, it could be another person. And then the big question is, do I have the resources? There are theories that describe this. Uh, and the path, the way it happens is you have a stressor and then there's some what we call cognitive appraisal. So again, that front part of the brain we saw earlier, it's just trying to figure things out. Do I have the resources? And then it chooses a way to cope. So I'm gonna break this down, just two things real quick, because I think these are really important. This, this is going on whether you know it or not. And so the more that you know, the, the better equipped you are to kind of understand how to respond. All right, that cognitive appraisal, there's two types or two sections here. Is there a stressor? One is primary appraisal. So this is the evaluation of the significance of a stressor. So have you ever noticed that uh, some things that you get stressed about, other people don't? And maybe that's frustrating <laughs> to you. Or you see that somebody else is stressed out or anxious about something, fearing something that you're not anxious or fearful of at all. So everybody's a little bit different. So there's this appraisal process and it's your first process. It's like, is this stressor, is it meaningful? Is it a threat uh, to me or my family or my situation, my job, whatever it might be? Uh, if so, the next step then becomes what we call the secondary appraisal. Uh, this is your controllability. What resources do you have? Can you fix it? Remember earlier, I said, can I, can I handle this? Uh, this is where you're asking that question. From there, that's where you have your coping response. And these are the actual strategies. And so when you're learning coping strategies, um, that, that's extremely helpful. And I'm going to give you a few tips about coping in just a moment um, that we know is very consistent in the literature. The, the problem comes is when we only hear about coping, but we don't learn about how we're appraising the situation. In other words, I can change what coping I need or if I need it at all, if I can do better in the way I appraise things. So in other words, let's say, um, and some would argue this is a part of coping, but let's say that first primary appraisal, I think of something that automatically assume it's a stressor. But then if I take a deep breath and be like, that's not a stress. There's no reason to be stressed about this. Well, now I don't need the coping response to deal with it, right? I don't need the food anymore. I don't need this or that. Because what we're going to find is that not all coping is positive. The uh, idea of what we're talking about now, emotional eating, 
that that's likely not very positive, but it is coping. It is giving the brain the fix. Uh, retail therapy is, is another one where maybe that's not so productive. Maybe it is. Uh, people could pursue drugs or alcohol. There's many things that can give us positive feelings and give our brain, our flesh, its fix, but really never fix the problem. And so that's the reason we separate coping out into two areas as well. The first is emotion focus. So this is where you're just dealing with the emotion. You're trying to change how that stress or the anxiety or the fear is attended to. Maybe you avoid it. Uh, or we said, maybe you just eat the retail therapy. You do something, maybe you lash out at somebody and that gives you, that kind of gives you your emotional fix um, or to the meaning of what happened. You dismiss it or again, avoid it. Uh, I think of traffic. Uh, I luckily live in a city where I don't have to deal in traffic anymore. And that's, that was on pur purpose. Um, I'm not a big fan, but maybe you deal with this. How, what's your emotional response to traffic? Um, I have a colleague of mine who ironically studies stress, but he, he um, is terrible emotionally with traffic. And he just assumes that everybody's out to get him and everybody's stopped on purpose trying to prevent him alone from getting to where he needs to be. And his whole emotional response to that is just really not helpful. So the alternative is how do we deal, how do we change the environment? How do we change the way that we attend to this? And that would be problem focus. So that's fixing the source of the stress. Sometimes the stressor comes from our own brain, right? It's our own perception of things. Sometimes it's a, um, another person. So for example, let's say um, I get an email from somebody or a text and it's not so positive and now I have a little stress about that. Well, I could go have some wine and just uh, for, try to forget about it and try to move on. I could go emotional eat. I could just avoid. But you know that, that stress is still there, right? That person's still there. The relationship tension is still there. And I can try my best to avoid that. But it's just not going to work. If anything, it's just going to make things worse, right? And then if another text comes. Or I try to make myself feel better emotionally, so I lash back out in another email or text, right? So that's that sort of negative part of emotion-focused coping. Um, perhaps in that situation, the better scenario would be, as difficult as it might be, to go fix the source of that problem, to go to that person uh, and to figure things out. The way I grew up, again, in East Texas, is sometimes, I'm not saying this is the way to do things, but sometimes it was you go and you fight and then you shake hands afterwards. I don't know if that's as common as it used to be. Uh, as when I grew up, but it's this idea, I'm going to go fix the problem. We're going to mend this relationship. I'm going to really understand what you're trying to say. Uh, and I want you to understand what I'm trying to say and then fix the problem. We're changing the environment, the relationship between two people, or if something's stressing me out in my house, I just get rid of it. Uh, or if this financial thing is stressing me out, I try to fix it as fast as possible and fix the problem. We can change the way we attend to that traffic. All of a sudden, now it gives me time to listen to my favorite song. I mean, I can listen to a podcast. Maybe I can learn something. You know, I can't change this traffic scenario, but I can change the way I attend to it. So when we think about behavior in psychology, we think about behavior as coping. Um, I believe exercise is coping, healthy eating, unhealthy eating. So much of this is coping with something um, that once we see it as that, I think we can better attend to it. One last C real quick. 
before we get back to the, the scriptural part, and it ties well into that, is the, the cognition. So this is the thought process. Again, we're still talking about the flesh. The term that we use uh, in psych health psychology and general psychology is called cognitive flexibility. So this is your ability to kind of be in touch with the present moment. And you're going to see some words here, right, that you're starting to see more and more these days and have the desire or willingness to change according to one's value. Uh, mindfulness picks up on this as well. And so we see overlap with mindfulness, uh, uh, behavioral tactics, uh, mindfulness meditation, and cognitive flexibility. There's another term called positive reframing or cognitive reframing, where you just kind of reframe the situation to be a bit more positive, as the lady did in the traffic earlier. There are some simple rules to follow, again, from a fleshly standpoint that can be very helpful from an emotional eating standpoint. And I want to present those to you that help you be more flexible, in other words, your flesh be more flexible um, to stimulation from others or the environment around you. These rules come from a colleague of mine uh, named Dr. Eric Janegi. He's at the University of Texas at, at Austin. And he's actually one of the, uh, he's a renowned uh, high performance psychologist. And so he works with elite uh, athletes um, and elite executives and leaders to talk about handling stress. And so his, his sort of rules are, are here and he sep separates it out uh, first into the group of, uh, of stressors or potential stressors that uh, you can change. So if you see something and it's kind of stressing you out, making you anxious, uh, can you change it? That's the first question. If so, then how are you thinking about that? Remember that appraisal process? Are you seeing it as good or bad? Are you seeing it as a challenge or a threat? So change the way you're thinking about it. Think about the secondary appraisal. What resources do you have? Do you have people? Have you dealt with this in the past? Um, how did you overcome it in the past? How did you think about it differently and were more productive moving forward? Um, what Do you have access to some social support groups uh, that can kind of help you through this? Some accountability partners, right? All those resources. What resources might you need? Because sometimes, right, when we're stressed, it sort of hones in our sort of our, our mental vision. And we see that a lot with depression too, that peripherally, so to speak, mentally, that people just can't see um, the resources they have available. They can't see the help even though it's right there because of this tunnel type vision. So sometimes it's best to ask, well, what resources do I need? They, they're there, I just have never looked at, into them before because I haven't had this stressor before but I believe I can change it. So maybe I need to access some new resources. All right, if you can't change it and you're like, this just, this can't happen. Uh, can't change this, it's done. One of the most common examples is um, the passing of a significant uh, relative or family member, something like that friend. Uh, they're, they're, they're not coming back at least on this earth. And so I can't change that. I've lost my job. I can't change that scenario. So there's various things that you can do, and it depends on um, what that scenario is. So one option is acceptance. Um, and with death, for example, this is one in our grief counseling. This is clearly one stage that we're trying to get people to. And it takes time to do this, and everybody's different. It's a natural process. Uh, and it's not that we're trying to enforce, in, uh, in, enforce this in a certain time frame, but we are thinking, okay, uh, this I just need to accept. I lost that job, it's done, right? I lost it, I accept that. Now it's time to move to the next thing, right? Because I can't change that. If I stay focused on that, then all it's gonna do is perpetuate the stress even more. 
We can also look at it from a distance. Uh, this is a pretty interesting phenomenon. Some people talk about it like a fly on the wall scenario uh, or a, a satellite where you, you're pulling, as weird as it sounds, you're like pulling yourself out of the situation and looking at it from a different view, from an outsider view. How would, how would somebody else see this situation? How would they respond to that? I find that this is kind of difficult to do, but it can be quite helpful. I also want you to start thinking about back to the idea of voices that we're going to see reiterated over the next few minutes. I want you to start thinking about what are the voices that, how do I talk to myself? Start describing your inner voice. Is it positive? Is it negative? Uh, is it happy? Is it sad? Does it vary? Is it mean to, are you mean to yourself, right? That inner voice. But the reason I'm talking about it as a, as a third person is because it gets into this idea of sort of removing yourself and seeing that voice as an outsider. Uh, that can give us a perspective sometimes that we don't get unless we sort of pull ourselves out of that situation. Also, find meaning. My guess is if you look back at things that stressed you out in the past and you really look at those and think about those, you're like, yeah, it kind of worked out, right? Because the, the, this bad thing happened and we had to move here and that was terrible. But because we move here, this happened. So, um, even though it wasn't that tragic, tragic for me, uh, an example I, I think about a lot is when I finished my master's degree, I wanted to go straight into my PhD. And uh, I wanted at that time to go back, I was gonna go to University of Southern California Medical School. There was a, a person there uh, I wanted to work with um, and I knew, and I was really excited about that. Last minute, uh, he said, man, the funding didn't come through. You're gonna have to wait a year. And I didn't know what to do. I was finished my master's. I tried to find a job around there uh, if they could keep me on as a graduate or a teacher or something, but nothing happened. Uh, no, nothing. I didn't know what to do. And so I was fairly stressed. I didn't know where to live. Um, again, how am I going to pay rent? Do I need to go work at the lumber yard, which is fine. I'll do whatever I got to. I just didn't know. Um, what ended up happening, though, was I got a uh, offer to look into a one-year instructor position at the University of Central Oklahoma. And again, I was in Texas at the time. I had no desire to go to Oklahoma, no offense. I just never had been there. I didn't know. I just, I wanted to go start my PhD. I didn't want to go move somewhere and have to deal with all that. And so I was, I was mad um, that that didn't work. So I, I did it. I had a buddy in Oklahoma. So he let me, you can live with me for a bit. Long story short, I went what ended up happening from that was the university I was at, I realized what it was like to be at a mid-sized regional uh, university, which ended up paying off big time for me in the future. I met some people that are lifelong friends now that uh, have just changed me in such a positive way that I would, I don't know if I'd ever got to where I am in life now if it weren't for those people, if I had not moved to Edmond, Oklahoma. And Last but not least, I met my wife in Edmond, Oklahoma. So here I was all mad and upset and rightfully so, right? And frustrated and stressed. But when I look back on it, I'm like, man, that was, I couldn't have asked for anything greater than that. I tell my students all the time that they ask me, well, how did you get to where you are? How did you get here? What did you, and it's a complete, it's my story, right? And my story is all about these ups and downs and these, these, these things that were stressful, didn't work out the way I planned as if I know what I'm doing. Uh, but then at the end of the day, when I look back on that, I was like, man, there's so much meaning there. The reason I'm going through that is I, I, I recommend that you think about all those times that it didn't work out. And now you're like, thank goodness it didn't work out. 
Thank goodness that relationship did not work out, even though I wanted it to. Thank goodness I did not get that job because, man, look at where I am now. The meaning that can come from even at the time, the most difficult things, and sometimes you don't know the meaning, but you can look back on your history and see that God has worked out the things the way that he's wanted to. I've been saved from so many of my own consequences, uh, and good has come from my own sin over the years, and my guess is that's you as well. I wouldn't go back and sin again, but it's interesting to see that even the stuff we bring on ourselves and the stressors that we bring on ourselves, we can still find meaning to return to God's grace in those situations. The last one is, uh, last two actually, think about it as positive or neutral. It doesn't have to be negative. You don't even have to think about it as positive. Just try to be neutral. Um, and then as we we're trying to talk about, trying to make sense of that. Okay, so that's the, uh, actual the survival part of the flesh thank you for joining us on the healthy for my purpose podcast we hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your god-ordained purpose you can connect with us on facebook and instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women please don't forget to subscribe rate and review this on itunes until we meet again keep honoring your body for your purpose